0: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. We've got a good one for you. I was able to catch up with Jason Red from Timber Ninja Outdoors. Now, if you haven't heard of Timber Ninja Outdoors, they came on the scene in May of 2020. I think it was May uh, as the very first company to bring carbon fiber climbing sticks to the market. Now I had a chance this year to handle their sticks as well as their saddles at their booth at ATA. And let me tell you, I was very, very impressed with their gear not only with the individual pieces but with as you're going to hear in this episode they're really working towards making their kit work all together as a system they've got a couple of saddles on the market right now obviously they've got their sticks they've got a bunch of great accessories and they also have a brand new platform which if you have been a little bit leery of some of the smaller uh, saddle hunting platforms in the past this is one you might want to take a look at especially if you're a bigger guy it has a weight rating of up to 350 pounds Or if you have a little bit bigger boot size, or if you just like a little bit more room on the platform. I know that's something that I'm looking into now for this year. I've been using a smaller platform over the last couple of years, and I think it's about time to upgrade. Because I'm finding that uh, rather than just leaning in a saddle or just sitting down while I'm in the saddle, I typically like to stand. Uh, I don't know why, but that's that's the direction that I'm going. So I think I'm going to give the new platform from Timber Ninja a good hard look. In this episode, Jason and I talk about uh, where he grew up hunting, the transition from hunting the the river bottom land of the South up to now where he's at in North Carolina, kind of mountain country. We talk about Timber Ninja and how they got their start. We talk about the new products that they've got coming out the features of their current product line, and then what you can kind of expect from Timber Ninja in the days ahead. It's a great conversation. It's not all gear-focused. We do talk deer a good bit, and so no matter uh, where you're at as far as being in the market for a saddle or not, I think you're going to take away a lot from this talk that I had with Jason. If you'd like to see more from them, you can head over to their website, TimberNinjaOutdoors.com. Now, from what I can tell... We are getting to that time of year when a lot of folks are really starting to get dialed in for uh, for deer hunting, and I get it. That's the same way for me. But I'm seeing our download numbers creep back up. You know, during this late spring and early summer, you kind of see a little bit of a lull. But then, as we get closer to Fourth of July, which for many folks is kind of the official kickoff of summer prep for deer. And, uh, yeah, totally get it. So I know a lot of you are beginning to think about your fall season. And let me make a couple of suggestions. We've got several great brands that we partner with here at the How to Hunt Deer podcast. And as you're thinking through your camo, your filming needs, or your mapping software, I want to encourage you to go check out our sponsors. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of the show. And uh, as I've told you before, their Tacticam 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras are fantastic. And I usually spend a lot of time telling you about the specs of their camera, but today I just want to mention a couple of different things because I'll usually throw in at the end, like, hey, they've got mounts and adapters that are really cool. And uh, so rather than just saying that again, I wanna tell you about my personal favorites. Number one, the Tacticam 6.0 stabilizer mount for your bow. That's a no brainer. If you're gonna be shooting this summer and you want to self-film your hunts with a Tacticam 6.0 this fall, you need to go ahead and get the stabilizer so that you can practice shooting with it. That one is kind of a no brainer. They also have the bendy clamp mount, which I think is probably my personal favorite because I can take that bendy clamp mount and stick it on pretty much anything. I can put it on a tree branch. I can put it on my backpack when I'm walking in. I can put it on the stock of a weapon, like a, a rifle or a shotgun. It's super, super versatile and will do pretty much anything you need it to do. They've also got a shoulder strap so that you can get, or a shoulder mount so that you can get that over the shoulder angle, which is really, really nice if you're spending some time fishing or scouting. They've also got a head mount if you want to wear it up on your head like a traditional point of view camera might be. So if you think about Tacticam and you think, well, those are just for my uh, those are just for my weapons, they're maybe not for, you know, what you would use a typical point of view camera for, you are mistaken. You need to go check them out tacticam.com. Grab one of their 6.0 cameras or the Solo Extreme camera and get started sharing your hunt today with Tacticam. Next up, if you're looking to add some camo to your arsenal this year, go check out huntworthgear.com. I've been super impressed with a couple of different pieces specifically for summer scouting and early season hunting. Their Durham lightweight pants are amazing. I've got them in the gray and I've also got them in the camo. Uh, They also have an olive color and an ash brown color that I just don't have yet, but Uh, Certainly plan to because these pants are super, super comfortable. They keep you cool. They are tough and durable. They've got just a little bit of stretch to them, which is nice when you're trying to make your way through the timber when things are really greened up outside. And honestly, here in Georgia, I'll probably be wearing those pants well into the season. I mean, they're lightweight enough that you can wear them during the summer but if you throw on, you know, one of their base layers underneath, you can actually get a good chunk of the season. You know, if you're in a climate like Georgia where it's not necessarily gonna get freezing. Now, up in Wisconsin where I hunt, I'm probably not going to be wearing those past, uh, you know, middle, early October-ish. But when you get those 70 degree days, it is nice to be able to pull those things back out. Head over to huntworthgear.com to check out all of their products and learn more. Finally, last but not least, the Onyx Hunt app. If you did not catch the episode that I did with Jacob Sklinner on the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, uh, the previous episode launched on June 27th. It's called Up Your Map Scouting Game for Big Bucks. Man, first of all, fantastic fantastic episode. Uh probably one of the best Wisconsin Sportsman episodes that I've done that's devoted to deer. Had a really great time recording that one, but it was all about if you can't guess map scouting. And it sort of relit the fire in me to be doing some map scouting for some properties that are local to me here in Georgia. So I've been putting the Onyx Hunt app to work here lately. And as I'm doing that, one of the features that I really, really love is the uh, the markup folders. So what you can do, you can you know drop your pins and you can add those to a folder and send them to a buddy, which is what I personally like to use them for. I can put you know several pins in a folder, send them to a buddy and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Rather than having to send them one pin and then another pin and then another pin, I can just send it all at once. So if you're like me and you like to share pins with your buddies to get their thoughts on areas that you're map scouting, check them out today onyxmaps.com or you can find them on the app store of your choice. Now let's jump into today's episode talking deer hunting and tree saddles with Jason Redd of Timber Ninja Outdoors. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Jason Redd from Timber Ninja Outdoors. Jason, how's it going today?
1: Pretty good, man. Just uh, enjoying all this heat and humidity we've gotten this week.
0: So. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a of a of a heat wave going on right now. What's uh, what's it feeling like where you are?
1: I think we're in the 80s today up in the mountains here in North Carolina. So just a little muggy. Yeah, all
0: right. But
1: can't complain. I guess it is what it is.
0: <laughs> busy, uh, busy time of year for you.
1: Yeah, this is the busiest time of the year for us. So we got a lot going on. You know, we, we started in 2020 and keep growing every year. And like I was telling you, this is still a part-time job, but it's it's about 70% of my time now. So and right now it's more than that because I've been working nights as
0: well. Yeah. It keeps growing, man. That's awesome. So um, before we jump into kind of the history of Timber Ninja, you know, I'm curious to hear more about you. Like, how did you get uh, to where you are today as far as an outdoorsman? I mean, I know you're a big uh, you're a big bow hunter. Um, are you strictly traditional archery equipment at this point?
1: Uh, for archery, yes, uh, okay. but I still do hunt with a gun and muzzle or something.
0: Okay, so did you, uh, you grew up hunting in North Carolina, is that right, or? No,
1: I grew up in the Mississippi Delta in Arkansas. Okay. So uh, I've been out here for 14 years. Yeah. But grew up grew up in the Delta.
0: So where you were in the Delta, was that more like uh, Midwest ag country kind of? portion of the delta or that kind of river bottom swamp stuff.
1: River bottom swamp. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like to be called the Midwest or the South.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I um, so I I I lived and hunted in Louisiana for about 8 years. And so oh, okay. I knew there was that <clears throat> I mean, we obviously had a lot of piney woods and that kind of thing as well. Um but there is part of Louisiana, a lot of folks don't know it, and part of the delta really that looks a lot like the Midwest and hunts a lot like the Midwest, just as far as agriculture and that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But those those big river bottoms are a whole a whole different beast.
1: Yeah, they are. They're really interesting. I I, I enjoyed hunting the river bottoms. Um, you know, you talk about getting lost. You can get lost in the river bottoms in a heartbeat. I mean, everything. None of the none of the sloughs flow the same. So, like, you can get turned around. You know, because growing up, yeah, I'm 43 years old. We didn't have map systems and stuff like that we just kind of went by it and we did a lot of coon hunting and man you get turned around in those bottoms at night for sure
0: oh yeah absolutely well and there's no there's no uphill there's no downhill there's all the trees look the same there's very few i mean for a lot of them at least like the ones that i've hunted that flood regularly and that kind of thing the vegetation's just monotonous for pretty much oh, all yeah. of it yeah a lot of things like the bike want to bite, bite you Mosquitoes. Man. Snakes. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? So, how, when did you move uh, away from that and how has your hunting transitioned? Because I know now you're not so much uh, hunting river bottoms anymore.
1: Yeah, I moved here in 2009. And, um, you know, I I hunted pretty consistently most of my life. But, you know, in my 20s, I got into uh, endurance sports. I was a road cyclist and ultra runner. And I and I focused a lot on that, but I still hunted in during the fall. But you know, I wasn't super serious. I moved up here. I got back to getting more serious and moved to the mountains. And it definitely was a, a transition as far as hunting styles. And it took me a while to kind of learn the animals. And also, like our deer density is so low here that you, I mean, their deer are real pocketed. So you got to spend a lot of time, you know, combing the national forest to find areas with deer in it. But you know having the terrain features and the mountains we do, it kind of combined it to me, it combined it some endurance activity with hunting, you know, cause like yeah. most of my, most of the places I hunt are three miles one way in and you know, like there's a spot that i am hunting a big deer for the last few years. It's um, three miles one way and it's like 1700 feet of elevation gain to get up in there. So it's like,
0: oh my it's a workout.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a workout getting in there, but that's what I like about it, man. Cause it, cause you know, um, here in these mountains, you know, we have big continuous tracks of national forests and some wilderness areas. So you can have a really good remote experience, uh, up here. And we have some great whitetails, but no, just not many of them, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it, man. And I, that's pretty primarily all I hunt these days for whitetail is like mountainous terrain on the East coast. So I hunted, uh, multiple States, but it's always, kind of the same type of terrain because that's what draws me is the terrain and adventure uh in a lot of those areas you can find big deer for sure mature age class
0: yeah well anytime you've got deer that are just hard to get to they're just going to start to get older you know you're Mm starting you're going to start to get that that better age structure but man i'm curious you start getting into that like three miles and 1700 feet of elevation mark like at that point, you start thinking, do I just need to camp in there? So are, are you doing any – are you treating it like a backcountry hunt at all, or is it all straight in, straight out?
1: Uh, it depends. I do a little bit of both. Uh, I, I love to go in and bivvy overnight. I don't carry much with me when I do that. You know, a lot of times I just sleep on the ground with my bag and pad. Uh, it does – I do a lot more of that during gun season than I do bow season. But Okay. You know, it has crossed my mind because I've been out – because one thing I do is – I. I like to find a couple older bucks here at home and that's all I focus on uh, during bow season is those deer and, and during rifle season I'll kind of take a break and go run around in the national forest and do some of those bivvy hunts and kind of look at new terrain. But um, primarily, you know, I kind of focus on one or two deer that I've located and try to do my best to get on them. And I have been considering like you were saying, like the spot I've been after this deer for a few years, I've thought about Vivian in there during, uh, both season, which I may just kind of cut down some of that walking.
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, cause I mean, what kind of travel time is that, is that for you? I mean, I've, I'm no stranger to long walks, uh, you know, to get to a tree stand, but I mean, there are points where I know there are just spots that I'm just not going to hunt them, especially after time changes. Like I'm just not going to make it in the morning. I don't have enough hours to, to walk back in there, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah uh man on that specific spot it, you know it takes me about an hour
1: and a half okay because um, it's a straight uphill climb to access the top of the ridge and it's a long ridge all the way out and i drop off the other side to where these deer are where you know where they primarily spend most of their time
0: gotcha gotcha i'm curious to hear so we were talking off air just a second ago i moved to sort of northwest georgia and um The hunting obviously is very different than Louisiana, very different from Southern Alabama where I used to hunt, uh, very different from Southern Wisconsin where I hunted over the last couple of years. Um, And one of the things I'm noticing here is how pocketed the deer are. We have a little Mm -hmm. bit lower density where I'm hunting, uh, you know, as compared to like South Georgia It's just got way too many deer. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you doing in these big continuous tracts of land to find those kind of pocketed, deer because i've had a heck of a time uh just finding where the deer are hanging out
1: yeah i mean you know if you're in hilly mountainous type terrain i typically i mean mainly for you know mature age class deer anyway i typically find most of them on the north facing sides um steeper the better honestly and one thing i really like to key in on is finding you know obviously you know you want a mixture of good mass in there um, which is kind of sparse. We don't cut as much here. So it's a lot of old growth mass. And also I like to look, one of my favorite things to find on a North facing side is um, a Creek. It, and I like to hunt up typically. I usually find bucks up around where the Creek starts. Cause you'll have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, foliage there throughout the summer. They've got water that North facing sides always going to stay cool. Uh, it's very consistent for them for thermals too, on those north facing sides, especially that have a Creek. So, you know, I, I tend to find that those bucks really like to hang out in those areas. And honestly, um, I, all the mature bucks I've killed here have been in that type of terrain.
0: Okay. That kind of scenario. It's, it's really mm-hmm. interesting. You know, I hear a lot of the guys from up North and they talk a lot about those South facing slopes and deer wanting to get out in the sun and the, you know, when it's cold outside and I'm like man, our deer down here, they're just trying to stay cool, you know, for basically yeah. until November hits.
1: Yeah. You know, man, I mean, we get, co- it gets cold up here and I think, you know, that, that, um, Intel is really good for all, you know, for deer in general, especially your doe groups, but you got to think he's mature bucks, man. They're, they've got a lot more fat on them. They're bigger. They don't get as cold as easy. And, uh, you know, that sun hits that North side for a little bit. I mean, I killed one on north facing side, uh, Christmas a few years ago and it was negative six and he was still bedding on that north facing side. Cause you, you know, and I got a buddy that, um, he sent me a video of this, had a buck get up out of his bed on north facing side on a uh, single digit day. And he was panting cause he, cause it, it, the sun had just hit it for a little bit and he was still panting from heat. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. So I, I think those older deer tend to stay on that north facing side because when you're mature age class deer too, you know, they're they're pretty much gonna be loners and they don't really wanna be where everybody else is all the time. They'll kinda check in on what's going on, but you know, they're usually gonna be tucked up by themselves, especially as their horns get hard. Like I, you know, one of the big deer I've been hunting for a few years, I found his summer range and he has a tendency. He likes he's got two bucks he's been running with. I saw him with last year, and I've already got him on cam this year with both of those deer. And uh, um, and one of them's actually another mature deer, which is interesting and But he tends to run them out of there about, you know, late October. But then they kind of buddy back up.
0: (laughs) That's wild. That is wild. So what is, uh, I'm curious what the, um, I guess, prevailing hunting season wind is for you. Um, You know, I I hear a lot of guys in different regions of the country talk, you know, it's that north, northwest wind, blah, blah, blah. I know where I'm at personally, a south, I mean, an an east or an east-southeast wind is going to be the prevailing wind all the way through, through the entirety of the hunting season, really, unless we get a really good cold front blowing through. So what's it looking like where you are?
1: About the same. Okay. Uh last year we tended to have a lot more easterly winds. Um what I found up here in our terrain anyway is bucks really don't spend a lot of time focused on on wind. because mm-hmm. um, it's so inconsistent with the different, you know, saddles and mountainous terrains. I may mean, be calling a south south. I mean a south um Win and i'm going there and it can be blowing you know out of the west It yeah. just it just depends you know so that that's why i think in my opinion that thermals are a lot more thermals in sight are two of the most important things i find for mature bucks to put their beds here in the mountains
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense so uh well man i, I want to transition a little bit into uh timber ninja and the gear that you've been making I had a chance mm-hmm. to get my hands on some of it at ATA this past year, and I was super impressed. I mean, not only from each of the individual pieces, but kind of how everything was coming together as a system uh, in mm-hmm. general. So before that, though, tell me a, a little about the um, the history of your company. I mean, Timber Ninja kind of came out when I would say that initial saddle hunting fervor was at, was at its peak you know, there were, there was a lot of competition kind of coming onto the market, uh, right around Mm -hmm. then. And, and you're one of the guys and your products have stood out, you know, in, in the midst of a lot of competition. So tell me about sort of what got you maybe to, to bring a saddle to market and what, what sets you guys apart?
1: Well, I mean, so we, we launched our company officially May of 2020. So in the height of COVID and, uh, man, it really was not a plan at all. Uh, I had, you know, been hunting mountains and, you know, tired of lugging around all the heavy stuff and had done a lot of different things for myself to make my system a little bit more compact and light because I live with a backpack on hunting. Like I I, I hardly ever go hunting without a frame pack. And so, you know, I wanted to make some items for myself that were, um, you know, worked well for that as far as packability, lightweight, and, you know, making sure they were efficient. And so, you know, back then I was using a, um, I was using a lock-on stand that I'd taken the seat off of to save some weight. And I was using my treat, my rock climbing harness as, you know, my fall restraint and, you know, and I had multiple sticks that I'd tried. And so I got started by, uh, making some carbon sticks for myself. And it took me a while to figure out how to do it, but I had, had some experience with carbon fiber from racing bikes and kind of knew some people in that industry and ended up, you know, making a set of sticks for myself that I, honestly I had zero intentions of, um, uh, to market. Uh, I mean, it kind of always been in the back of my mind that I would like to do something in the hunting industry. Cause it's one of or, you know the outdoor industry as a whole, cause I love the outdoors. Um, but I owned, you know, my other company that I still operate and I also had another, uh, uh, large Airbnb business that I was running. And I just didn't have the time to start another company. But after all my friends started seeing my sticks, they were like, man, you should bring this out, uh, as you know, launch it as a product to sell. And, and I was like, I don't have time. And uh, two of my buddies, you know, had wanted to do something separate than their day jobs. And so we all kind of came together and launched timber Ninja with the sticks in 2020.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, that's kind of, kind of what got us going. But, you know, once I, we decided that we were going to start a company. Like I wasn't going to be, you know, they didn't want us to be like just a company that sells six, you know, like it's not a very good business model to only sell one product. It's not going <laughs> to last long. Yeah. Uh, so like what we wanted to do was to create a company that was going to be the ultimate, um, mobile hunting company, as far as any type of product that you, you use. And, uh, you'll see, you know, the next couple of years, how it's how we're, you know, going to stay true to what we do with from a mobile hunting perspective, but we're going to have other items that come out that complement a year round outdoorsman that, um, I mean, I think you saw our packs and stuff. They are some of the early prototypes and, you know, it's things that we can use throughout the whole year, uh, and not have to buy a new piece of gear for every little outdoor activity, whether it be hiking or fly fishing or turkey hunting, you know, so, um, so yeah, we just wanted to, you know, create and become the most innovative, um, mobile hunting company there is. Uh, And we're, you know, we're trying, I think we do a pretty good job uh, as far as innovation goes. And, you know, a couple other things that, you know, are are true to our core, you know, we're all serious hunters. We've been doing it our whole life. And um, we spend a lot of time in the woods. So like when we create something, you know, people, one of the things that we hear a lot is like, man, you can tell this was created by hunters, you know, because there's a lot of companies out there that essentially come up with ideas, put them on CAD and, launch a product without any field testing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, our products, I mean, we put years into field testing stuff to make sure it's going to be right. And, you know, now as our team's grown, we've got some field staff people, you know, we're able to put more people into prototypes, you know, like our new saddles we we launched this year, we had about 4,000 hours in those last year. Wow. Um, so like through that amount of time, you can kind of figure out what's, what works and what doesn't. And, um, you know, we we make all of our stuff in the United States. We're not going to go away from that. Everything's made um, local here. I mean, we even try to source as much of uh, components like webbing and stuff for our saddles that's made in the U.S. that we can. Uh, this, and we use local machine shops and local sewers uh, for the saddles and our bags and stuff. And ultimately, our goal is, goal is to become fully integrated and do all of our own manufacturing, too, which we're going to start um, start a phase of that next year is the plan.
0: Wow. I am curious about that point. So I've talked to some other guys who, you know, are either own the a saddle company or, you know, they're part of a team behind the saddle company. And a lot of the struggle that they've had is finding, you know, places where they can sew a saddle and feel like it's going to, it's going to come back high quality, even from here in the U S like they've had to, they've had to do a lot of, of testing of the of the product as far as getting that part right. So what's that journey been like for you to find the right place to make things to your specs and, and the quality that, that you guys want to keep it at?
1: Um, well, I mean, a little bit of additional background about me is I, I've been in the safety industry for almost 20 years. So I, you know, I sell all types of safety products, but I'm a fall protection specialist. So I train, consult, Um, uh, I, I do, um, you know, accident investigations for fall protection, product development. So our first saddle that we started, um, came, we, we, our black belt, our original black belt that released last year is made by one of our fall, one of my fall protection companies. And, uh, so, you know, obviously they know how to make stuff that's, you know, it's going to keep you safe at heights. Uh. And they're an ISO certified third party testing facility too. So like we test all of our products there and then, but you know, they're industrial. So like all the innovative type types of materials that are out there, they don't really stay on top of that. Cause like there's nothing crazy innovative in the fall protection industry. It's just industrial robust, you know, gear to get it done. Like it's improved a lot since the early days, but it's not to where you see like climbing harnesses for rock climbing or, you know mountain bike gear alpine mountaineering type gear anything like that so our new saddles so another hobby i've been doing for a long time i'm a rock climb so i've got a lot of connections in the climbing industry and uh, and that's how i got connected with the company that's making our our ultimate our nano and doing all of our packs and stuff is that they um they have experience in the rock climbing industry for making harnesses and um so they know how that world world works and but they make very innovative high-end mountain bike and camping type gear. And so they know all the latest and greatest as far as materials and things like that. So that's been a really good, um, uh, partnership for us from a product development perspective and also from a manufacturing cause they do their own manufacturing. Then we all, they also have two sister plants that help, you know, cause like right now we're running full capacity. And so we've got like between the three facilities, I think we got like 35 sewers.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: And yeah. And and every product, you know, just the craftsmanship that's in these, uh, new saddles and the bags and stuff is just top notch. Like, you know, you can look at some people's products, you know, I, I, you know, that are using facilities here in the U S that aren't accustomed to working with this type of material. And you'll see a lot of weaknesses in their stitching craftsmanship. I mean, some of your best saddles come out of guys that taught themselves, um, uh, you know, like I, I always say that, you know, as far as the industry goes, you know, one of the products, you know, like Matt over at, uh TX five, he makes a really good quality saddle. Uh, but he's, he pretty much does it all himself, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. and it takes a lot of time to, you know, you're looking at, you know, about six hours per saddle by the time it starts to finish.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, an overwatch outdoors saddle that I was using for a long time. And, um, that one's really high quality. Um, again, guy, guy that owns it, kind of doing it all himself had another brand though, that I've had to send back a couple of times to say, Hey, this stitch, stitching's coming undone when I'm, when I'm dangling from a tree, I don't really like my stitching coming undone, uh, kind of no matter where it's at on, on the product. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, that's the problem. Um, you know, if you're doing it yourself, you can have a high level of craftsmanship because, you know, you essentially at that point have been you know, spend enough time behind a machine to be good at it. And, but the problem is training another sewer to do that. And that's what tends to happen when you see stuff that's getting mass produced. But the problem with the first side of it is you only can make so many saddles by yourself. So like to really scale your business is very complex. Um, And we're very fortunate. I mean, both of the facilities we use, um, the primary facilities, they're all trained quality, Sewers that are used to sewing, you know, technical stuff. And so, you know, from mass production, you know, we inspect every saddle that comes through. I mean, like we apply all of our own bridges. Uh, That's something I really don't want anybody else doing at a plant, to be honest. Uh, So we do that here. And that way we can actually put our hands on every saddle and uh, make sure. Because, I mean, I've, there's a couple companies out there that I know of that I've seen and had people tell me that they get their saddle and their Prusik doesn't tighten up on the, on the bridge line, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're using essentially the same size ropes. And so, uh, we don't want that happening here. So we inspect everything, make sure all of our barrel knots are untied, and we, we hand check every Prusik that goes on. So, um, you know, that's, those are little things I think that really can help set you apart and make sure you're making a good quality product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, one of the very first uh, episodes that I ever did when it comes to saddle hunting was called, uh, is saddle hunting a fad? Uh, mm-hmm. I did that a couple of years ago and I'm curious where, where you are. I mean, obviously your company is, is cranking out saddles. You're busy today. Uh, what do you think about the current state of saddle hunting as far as uh, as a tool that people are using? I mean, it did hit a fever pitch where it's like, if you're not hunting out of a saddle, can you even kill deer? Like, did we kill any deer before saddles were around? And, you know, um, but, but at this point I think they're, they're seen as a legitimate tool. And so, uh, what are you seeing as far as usage and, and, you know, just the, the, the room in the market still?
1: Uh, I think you're going to, you know, and this is based on also like larger companies that I work with that have a lot more people to analyze markets than I do. But just from my perspective and talking to them, like the saddle hunting, I don't think is going anywhere, um, at all. I think more people are understanding the beauty of how efficient and lightweight and safe it is. Uh, I think we're the originators of the people that really got it going in this resurgence because saddle hunting has been around for a long time. It's not like it's new in sure. the last 10 years by any means, but they've kind of, like you said, they've, they kind of created this whole like subset group of people that are saddle hunters. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing that we have to understand is, and this is like something I run into being a traditional bow hunter. I'm friends with a lot of old school trad guys. And if you know any old school trad guys, they're, they're, they're assholes, you know, like they're just <laughs> good dudes, but you know, they're like, they're setting their ways and like, you know, they know I make saddles and they're like, I'm not going to be seen. I'm not a saddle hunter. And I'm like, well, you got to understand that the saddle itself is just a fall restraint. And that's where we've done a poor job of marketing this product to where, yeah you know, to evolve as an industry and understand that, you know, the saddle has a lot more uses than just hanging on like a small platform or hunting like that. We just have to break it down and understand that it's a, it's a fall restraint. So it can be used with a saddle platform. It can be used on a lock on as your fall safety device. Um, And it gives you a lot of different options to hunt. So you can pretty much ditch your traditional uh, tree stand safety harness. That's a cumbersome and, you know, it's and really it's, it's safe and as far as keeping you from falling and getting hurt, but self rescue is really hard when you're attached to the back, you yeah. know, like when you're attached to the front, self rescue is a lot easier. So I think we're really just from a, um, saddle hunting industry. I think you're going to start seeing even more and more people transfer over. Cause that's still the biggest thing that we hear when we go to trade shows is people are just curious about it, you know, cause they're hearing it now. You. Have have companies that are you know like your tethered and trophy lines that are really hitting the big box retailers so that's going to put it out there in front of more people's eyes and it's going to have more people saddle curious i think there's some subsets of saddle hunting that have been created that I, i'm wondering if it's a fad like the whole one sticking thing like you know there's a big um interest in that amongst a lot of people and we get hit up all the time about making a carbon one stick but like for me to make that type of investment uh um uh, a prototype product. Like I got to really know I'm going to go get my money back. Uh, So like how many, you know, how long is one stick going to be around? You know, like, so I think there's certain things that will be a fad, but I don't think saddle hunting as a whole is going to go anywhere.
0: Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with a 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. That's really good. I've had that conversation with buddies and stuff who, you know, they own land or something like that or they lease land and you know you ask them hey have you tried saddle hunting at all it's like nah i i own property or no I, yeah. I have a lease you know so the the thought is why would i ever use this when i'm not on public land you know it's kind of a it, it 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 it's pigeonholed in a lot of people's minds as to you really have to be a public land hunter to use this because you know why it's it's secondary to a tree stand right you know like why mm-hmm. would you ever use this if you've got the ability to hang and leave tree stands and Um, I know for me, when I was still using a lock on and climbers and stuff, um, I had already moved around to the back of the tree just because I was getting spotted less and getting busted less often. And so, you know, I would hang from my old muddy harness with the strap hanging up over my shoulder, facing the tree, just like in a saddle. So when I finally found tree saddles, I was like, okay, this is, this is where it's at for me, you know, as far as, you know, staying concealed in a tree and, and not getting busted. Um. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, products that you're, that you're bringing to the market. I mean, uh, you've got a, a stellar lineup right now. I, was, I obviously got my hands on some stuff at ATA and then was looking over your website a little bit earlier, kind of familiarizing myself or re-familiarizing myself with what you've got. So tell me a bit about your, your saddle lineup, first of all.
1: Um, so we currently offer three saddles. Uh, we have our original black belt that we released last year. It's a two-panel foam padded uh, saddle, it, um, it won best new saddle of 2022 by outdoor life magazine. It's a really great uh, product. You know, it's a two panel saddle is really comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, cause I'm, I mainly hunt it like a one panel, but I have the ability to move the panels or drop a panel and sit in it like a chair, chair if I want to, if I want to take a nap or something like that. I think, you know, a two panel saddle is like the most versatile if a person's going to buy one saddle that's all they can you know all they need is one which most people do uh i think a two panel is the way to go and but it's it's a very um it's just it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that our new saddles have and it's a great product that's made in the u.s and like for a two panel padded saddle it's extremely comfortable out the doors. 249.99 so like you can get that for the same price you can get some of this import mesh stuff yep um and so it, that's kind of our like our starting point in our saddle lineup, and then we added our Nano and our Ultimate this year. Which the Nano is uh, essentially the lightest single panel saddle on the market. It uh, we don't use mesh; we use a proprietary material that's a two way two way stretch, and it stretches more one way than the other. So we have the stretch the most going horizontally, kind of you know kind of suck around you. Uh, it's breathable fabric; it's really quiet, but it also has a higher tensile strength and tear resistance than rip stop so you know rip stops a great material but it doesn't give so you don't get that like elasticity around you when you set. but rip stop when it gets cold is loud as all get out and it's also like it, it's not very puncture resistant uh you can puncture holes in that yeah. thing pretty easy with our product it's with this material we use in our nano it's very puncture resistant tear resistant and just man you put that thing on you don't even know it's there and yeah like walking in it, it, it wears like a pair of pants. It's just, it's really hard to explain how comfortable it is just to wear it into the field. Uh, and then you get up in the tree and we built that saddle. I actually modeled that saddle off of Alpine climbing harness that I've used for years. Like climbing the Alpine, you want very minimalist type stuff. So you, cause you're usually hiking in, you know, long ways up until the Alpine before you can even start rock climbing. So everything that you have is, Usually going to be very compact and light uh, because you're carrying everything on your back, and but very minimalist. Like uh, an alpine climbing harness is not something you you just hang around in all day. It's just built for compact and light, you know, weight. So I actually uh, modeled the Nano after that with the goal not really trying to make it the most comfortable. We just want it to be the most compact and the lightest. And after we developed it and made it and hunted it last year, we realized how comfortable it was. and as far as a single-panel saddle, I'd put it up against any single-panel saddle in the industry as far as comfort goes. Um, you know, a few things that we'd seen that were problems with a lot of saddles that we'd used over the years was, one, uh, hardly anybody's waist belt stays tight when you're walking in, especially if you have a pack pushing down on it. And yep. nothing pisses me off more than walking three miles, and I feel like my pants are sagging. You know, oh, my that's...
0: gosh, it's worse. You still you feel the, like, constriction around your hips a little bit as it starts <laughs> yeah. to sag. Dude, what— <laughs> It is such a pain.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to fix that. And so we have a a waist belt system on ours. You you know, we use a little bit different type of webbing for that, that it bites better with the buckles. And, man, you can wear that thing. And I don't typically wear my saddle in a lot uh, because I'm walking so far and I'm usually having to layer up the tree anyway. But, you know, uh, early season hunts and, like, um and just overall, you know, we tested it that way because we know a lot of guys, you know, do wear their saddles to the tree. And I have yet to have my waist belt come loose. And I wear a frame pack over the top of it. Uh, I actually wore it Scout another day because I was messing around with some presets I have back in that spot where I'm hunting that big deer. And I wore the Nano in just for the heck of it. And I wore our little waist belt thing that we have coming out on top of it. And nothing pushed down. And like, like I said, you, you don't even know you're wearing it. I didn't get hot, and it was hot this past weekend. I didn't feel any different than my pants. And literally, like, I didn't know it was there. But beyond the comfort and, you know, little things like the waist belt, we added some features into our saddles uh, and our new saddles that nobody else is doing. We have magnetic uh, stick attachments on the side. So essentially, um, you have uh, a stick strap. That you girth hitch onto your stick and then when you get to the tree you can take your sticks off your backpack and put two one on each side into the magnetic attachments and you can go up the tree you know without having to you know hang a you know line or something or some 3d printed piece like you it's already built in there and it works extremely well and then also on the back we have a magnetic uh platform attachment so you can um, essentially it's a, a webbing with a magnet on one side that connects into a a v slot and you just you just loop that around your platform you know it locks in and once you get up to the top when you want to disengage your platform all you gotta do is pick up on the platform and it'll come loose and you can hang your platform so uh those are some of the you know things that are very different than other saddles and the other thing that's we have a patent pending what we call our tacky bridge so, um, it's a tacky material we use on our bridge loop. So you can make micro adjustments with your bridge angle. Um, and i you cannot have that stuff, make that stuff break loose. Like it, wherever you put it, it stays. So you can make very little micro adjustments or you can adjust it as much as you want up or down and you're not going to have any movement there. Um, and then, um, that's our nano, that's a single panel. And then we also came out with, uh, the ultimate, which is our, our um, new two-panel and essentially has all the same features as the Nano as far as the magnetic stick attachments and the um, platform. But it also on um, the back has what we call our mud flap stick hauler. So it's a uh, essentially a mud flap that you can carry up to four lightweight sticks horizontally across the back of your saddle, and you can get to the tree, unhook your mud flap, get your sticks off. If you're carrying four, typically you can set two from the ground. You put your two on the sides and you can run up the tree. Um, so that makes that's the reason we call it the ultimate is like, it, it's, it's pretty much your do all saddle. I mean, that thing, it, it's super comfortable. I, I mean, everybody that's sitting in it, his mind's been blown about how comfortable it is. Even hunting it is a single panel, it's just extremely comfortable. It's really lightweight. Uh, I believe it's, it, it's the lightest sing, uh, two panel out there. It's padded. Um, and, you know, this has all these features built in that nobody else has. And, um, and then also it has the ability, we have an optional lumbar pack that goes on the back of it. So, um, we came out with, uh, three new side bags this year. Uh, we have left and right specific side bags that are kind of a teardrop shape because I didn't like the saddle bags that everybody was making that remind me of like a chalk bag and climbing. They kind of bounce around. They're not very efficient. Um, you know, they're primarily open on top. So we made some really high end side bags that have one handed zipper and they're left and right specific. That way, if you want to keep your lineman's belt, uh, in, you know, a lot of people girth hitch their lineman's to one side and then stuff the rope in that side. That way, when you have it in there, you can zip the zipper toward the front and kind of keep it secure. Um, they're waterproof zippers pretty much the packs i mean the little bags are waterproof too I actually were our hip, hip pack the other day um fly fishing and i had to wait a section it was up to my belly and my phone and everything was back there and i didn't get any leakage on that so actually i'm gonna oh, do nice. some water testing so yeah.
0: so did you were you testing them on purpose or was that an accidental test and you realized uh-oh <laughs> that was an accidental <laughs> test um and then, uh, you know, also on those
1: bags, we added orange liner so you can see inside of them real easy when you unzip them. Oh, nice. Uh, d- just a little, you know, a little added feature. Um, so, yeah, that kind of, you know, that covers a lot of the features and benefits of those saddles. And then also both of our new saddles also accom- have loops in the top of the saddle to accommodate our uni system that we're coming out with. It's a, uh, we call it a uni-, uni system because it's universal. It's essentially a shoulder strap system that's oriented like backpack straps on t- on you. And it has a magnetic, um, disconnecting backpack that you can pop off. Mm-hmm. And, and then also with that backpack, which we just are about finished up with it. Uh, we made a few changes since the one you saw at ATA, but you can use it with the magnetic attachments. You can take the magnetic attachments off of it. You can add, um, regular backpack, shoulder straps that connect into it so it can function as a standalone day pack. And then it also has a, the uni system has a waist belt uh, system. So like when you're not using your saddle, you can connect your shoulder straps and the magnetic backpack into this waist belt system, which the waist belt system is set up. um, We have all different types of modules that work with it. We have a turkey hunting seat that goes on it. We have a a four liter lumbar pack. that way you can use it for scouting. It has a mud flap on the back of it similar to what's on our Ultimate. So like when you're going in scouting and you want to put a couple cameras in your lumbar pack, you can put, you know, a stick or two on that mud flap, you know, when yeah. you're going in to scout. Also, I found, you know, I used a lot of turkey hunting in the turkey hunting mode this year with the turkey seat, and that's going to be a killer little waist belt for guys that like to stalk and whitetail hunt with a rifle too. Nice. Um, yeah, so that that system is really cool man i can't wait to roll that out to everybody because our little day pack also have a a brain that goes on it lid whatever you want to call it that you can take off and that that lid is actually w- will function as the lumbar pack on the waist pack uh, lumbar bag on the waist pack and then it's also like say you're hunting and you you shoot something and you're going to go blood trail it, and you want to carry like kill kit or something with you. You can take that lumbar pack off and it has hidden a hidden waist belt in it. It'll come off and you can wrap it on you like a fanny pack. So yeah, it's hard to explain, man. That thing, that's going to be like a 30 minute uh, tutorial video just going through all the features (laughs) of this uni system. But man, it is, it's, it's totally sick. Um, I I get so excited about making the stuff, man. Like that's the, that's the part I like I mean, running the business. I could care less about, uh, I I really get stoked (laughs) on designing and making stuff that, you know, I've been thinking about for years.
0: Yeah. Well, man, that, so the, the whole system and the way it all fit together at ATA, like that, that was amazing. And I think it was, I think it was the nano saddle that I sat in and I can, I can vouch for what you said earlier. It's like, it's not even there. It's like, you just, it's like, there's nothing, you know, there is, there is no, um, Nothing hanging i mean that that I think is probably one of my primary gripes about saddles in general is a lot of times you can just tell there's just something hanging from you and and I've never really liked that, uh but man, this system that you've got, especially with those magnetic clips for the the sticks and for the uh for the platform, because I've been using paracord loops all this time, yeah, and I've had it so many times where you get up in the tree and you go to pull the stick out of that paracord loop and somehow it's twisted a couple times on your way up and it's it's just a nightmare to try to get it you know when you're hanging off the side of a tree try to get everything um squared away with that so i think that's uh that's a huge upgrade that honestly i'm surprised we haven't seen a lot of that when it comes to you know saddles in general but um certainly pretty excited to to see how that how all that works so um Let's talk about your sticks a little bit. So you were the first company to bring carbon fiber sticks to the market.
1: Yeah. First and only first and only we're the only only real carbon fiber stick. out There it is. Uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, our C1 was our, uh, you know, our flagship product that kind of launched our brand and it's a continuous fiber carbon stick. Um, It's a tube style, you know, so essentially a carbon tube similar to like an aluminum tube as far as shape goes. And, Mm -hmm we we manufactured um machined um uh it's a plastics material for our steps we machined that out and because what we want to do we wanted to make them lightweight and quiet and uh also um we don't want them to be cold to touch you know like how, living in wisconsin how many times you have freezing cold hands and you grab an aluminum stick put it on a tree and you're oh like, my geez. gosh yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah that was the the main uh concept for us and also we we wanted to a flat stack. So like we want them, you know, we don't want to change the length when we stack four of them together. Cause I typically, if I use four sticks, which is very uncommon, I put two on each side of my bag. So we wanted them to stack quietly and easy. And you know, they don't lock together when they, when they stack, but all you gotta do is take your um, attachment method and wrap it around and they don't go anywhere. But you know, they they're a 20 inch stick. um, And they weigh uh, 1.2 pounds which you know yeah you know, I, I don't know there's always an argument over who, who has the lightest stick you know uh but i think it's still one of the lightest sticks on the market, or is the lightest stick when you add up how long it is and everything compared to others uh but it's performed really well for us uh, we also have the option to add in a retractable aider, so it's a, it's a cable aider that retracts up in the tube and it gives you another 12 inches of climbing height and um and we use metal standoffs um uh, I, you know, people ask me all the time why we, we don't do carbon standoffs is, you know, they're not going to bite the tree as well as, um, aluminum will. And also, uh, it's actually going to make a little more noise than aluminum. You know, uh, it's when just, you go to okay. slide, slide it down on the bark, it's going to make noise. And the one thing, unless you tried our sticks, the one thing that we did, a we spent a lot of time trying to fix is i like to take a stick you know because you get on these obscure trees like i I, I love hunting a tree that splits Mm -hmm. and sometimes that requires me to climb up the right tree and then cross over to the left tree to you know get in a place that's straight to put a uh, you know a stand or platform and when you're leaning across to you know set up on that other tree like you're it's just it's awkward right Mm -hmm. and so i wanted i wanted our sticks to bite to where you know essentially you can take our stick and put it on the tree and kind of run it down a tree a little bit to get to lock and take your hands off of it. And it's stuck on the tree without, you know, before you put your rope, that way you don't have to use your face or whatever, you you know, I'm sure you've been there. Got your forehead against them
0: all Uh, the time. Forehead or my chin, you know, trying to, yeah, yeah, it's it's (laughs) awful.
1: Yeah. So we wanted to make sure, you know, that our sticks bit the tree. And I mean, I've been hunting these sticks since 2018, I believe. And I've yet to have one kick out on me because I've had, you know, over the years, I've had a lot of sticks kick out, and that's yeah. not a fun experience.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've been, I've been using the old school uh, Lone Wolf sticks, and I've I've swapped back and forth to some different ones. Uh, but even with the Lone Wolf sticks, I've had I've had kickouts and that kind of thing, and uh, it's it's a little bit a little bit nerve wracking, you know, when yeah. when uh, when you have that going on. But um, I'm curious now to hear about your your platform. Is your your platform's up for? ready for pre-sales right now is that correct
1: yeah yeah we came out with the um the ledge i've been working on that thing for this is our third year uh of working on that you know and really what i wanted to do is i hunt with a traditional bow and being tight to the tree you know I always have issues with potential limb contact and uh, so like small platforms have never worked out for me too well and also i like to stand to shoot if i can mm-hmm. so the goal of the platform was to make one a little bit bigger a lot of people that make bigger platforms they just make them wider they don't make them any uh deeper from the tree yeah so w- we wanted to accomplish that and also which ours is 14 inches away from the tree so you know unless the tree's bending back towards you any you know most most men have no problem standing up to shoot and and that really comes into play as well with the weak side shot. You know, like the weak side shot is the dreaded shot from a saddle, right? Mm-hmm. And with this, you can stand up on the platform and turn around and take that shot without having to, you know, contort around or walk around the tree or something like that. Um, so we wanted to make it deeper. We've got angles on the sides that you can kind of, if you're pushing off the side, you you know, you got good angles to bite, you know, your, for your uh, boots to bite on to kind of push off if, if that's the way you like to hunt. And we also, like the problem I've seen with a lot of platforms is most of them that I've tried just really do not cam very well and have a tendency, you got to like toe hook them and stuff like that to get them to bite. So we wanted a platform that really bit the tree and dug in there really well. And we accomplished that. Like this thing, once you lock it into the tree, you don't have to do any toe hooking or anything. You can take the strap off of it and it's still stuck in the tree. Nice. Um, And then we also powder coat them with a non-skid powder coat. So you've got some uh, tacky surface there. So it grips really well, especially, you know, most guys are starting to use like Mountaineer type boots or something with some type of premium rubber. So that grips really well on these um, platforms. And we made an integrated uh, Versa button on them. And it's all uh, machined aluminum out of billet aluminum. uh, Because, you know, we found that, <laughs> We've seen a lot of cast platforms that have failed. And when we were talking to engineers about designing our platform, you can make cast a lot cheaper than you can machine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> the problem with cast is, you know, it has the t- tendency to create sinks and have dead spaces that you don't see from an outside perspective. So that can be an area of failure. And also, over time, if your formulation is not good enough, you can start creating micro fractures in it and, and the problem with cast when it fails, it just blows up. You yeah. know, it doesn't, it doesn't bend and give you a warning. It just blows up on you. I had a buddy last year that had a cast pat platform blow up on him. It, it right there above the bolt, it just shattered. And he oh, fell man. while he was testing our, he was using our saddle as a test. He was testing our saddle for us last year and it caught him. So, um, it has been fall tested, but, uh, <laughs> so we, we decided not to go that route. Uh, after talking to engineers um multiple engineers about it because if you use traditional billet aluminum it's going to bend way well before it actually breaks so if you were to have a failure it would you know essentially bend and you wouldn't just have it trap door on you right the way you could with cast it costs a little more to make it that way but we also were able to um achieve a three hundred. 50 pound weight rating, which I believe we've got the only platform that has a 350 pound weight rating.
0: Yeah. I was looking around at some other platforms um, before we, before we talked and cause I noticed that 350 pound weight rating and you know, that's, there's a lot of guys that are concerned about that and, and rightfully so, you know, with some of these other platforms, a lot of folks are pushing the limits, especially geared up, you know, heavy boots on and all that kind of stuff. They're, <laughs> they're, they're pushing the limit on some of these other platforms. So, oh, but I get a lot of phone calls from guys because <clears throat> you know, our,
1: our sticks have a 300-pound weight rating. Platform, you know, the saddles are 300. The platform's 350. And I get a lot of guys that call me and be like, "Hey, you know, how how good are you at 300?" And I'm like, "You know, most of our stuff is, you know, went w- well past 300 pounds, but we just use 300 pounds." And I'm like, "You know, what's your weight?" And They're like, "Oh, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like 290 now, but I kind of move back and forth." And we all know, come winter time, that's when most of us get our fluffiest. So if you're 290 in the summer, you're going to probably be 3, 310 in the winter. Yeah. And then we add, <laughs> you add all your kit and everything on, you know, you, you pick up 20 pounds pretty quick. Yep. just some gear. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, we actually tested this platform to failure and it failed at 826 pounds. Man, so, um, okay. and the, the welds are what broke at 826. It wasn't the billet didn't bend or, or anything. It just the welds broke. Cause that's another area that when we were designing this, the engineers, Called out that they felt that it would the welds the weakest point in the whole system when you deal with aluminum. So if you that's another thing that you know if you see a platform that's got a lot of welds in it, you know those are areas of concern for failure too. So trying to limit the amount of welds you have and uh, using billet, you're going to have the the most secure uh, piece, I think, for the woods.
0: Yeah, man, very cool. So when can we expect some of that other stuff that that's coming out? I mean, you said. There's the, uh, the, the uni system coming out, so when, when can we look forward to that? Uh, we're about to run time studies at the plant on that now to kind of get our costs
1: situated on that and the waste belt and everything, and our plan is to start doing some drops of those uh, this fall.
0: Okay, very cool. So talking about the fall then, what are your, uh, what are your hunt plans? I mean, so just, just for those out there who are wondering – Uh, Many people think that when you get associated with the outdoor industry, fall rolls around and you just, everything gets to shut down and you just get to hunt all fall long and just do whatever you want. And that is very, very much not the case. A lot of guys hunt uh, less once they're in the hunting industry than before they were in the hunting industry. So what, what do your fall plans look like? Uh, I mean, I, I try to stack myself
1: up because, you know, we've never really marketed. We just started marketing this year technically. So like, you know, we just run by the beat of our own drum. And, um, so I try to hunt my, as much as I can the fall or get out. Um, but to your point, like anybody thinking they're getting in this business and it's just going to be free time. That's, that's, a, that, that's, you got the wrong mindset because it's not easy growing a business. And unless you take, unless you got a lot of daddy money or investor money, you know, you got to right. start from scratch and build it up and, it requires a lot of late nights and, uh, just a lot of hard work, but, uh, yeah, I, I get a chance to go out. Um, I, I've got a lot of stuff I got to get done in July and then I'm leaving and in August. I'm going to uh, Alaska be my third trip to Alaska. I'm going up there for, uh, 14 days on a hunt. And that's my first hunt of the year, which I'm really pumped about because Alaska like my, it's my place. I love remote areas. Um, and Alaska, it's like pro- one of the last places you can kind of get away from people. And, sure. uh, but, it, but it comes with a line of consequences. You know, I don't, I, I you know, this isn't like ego or anything. I, I've, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the backcountry for a long time, you know, especially in the rock climbing world. Uh, I've done a lot of like backcountry rock climbs and, you know, ultra runs by myself. And so I have a lot of experience being out in the wilderness by myself and, uh, so I think you know, for anybody that ever wants to go to Alaska, if you're going to do a DIY thing, like you really want to have your skills dialed in before you go out there, because you know both of the hunts I've done out there are all re- uh, remote drop-off hunts, and once that plane leaves, you know it's just up to you <laughs> about getting yourself taken <laughs> care of. You know if something happens, and little things can happen, like little things that you don't think about that could be a major issue. You know, can be a major issue. If, you, you got to rely upon a plane coming to get you, especially if there's inclement weather, you know, you may be stranded out there and it can't even get to you. So uh, a lot of precaution goes into that. I mean, it's like cutting yourself while you're, you know, dressing the animal or something could be a major issue, especially if you were to cut an artery, which that's happened, you know, to people. I mean, it's people people had broadheads fall out or quiver and step on them and go up in their calf, you know, like yeah. those things can be a problem for you, you know? Uh, but I, I love going into the remote areas of Alaska and it's, you don't have any cell phone service, you don't have anything and you can completely like disconnect. And it's crazy how much, m- much stress levels tracked on my watch. And I can look at a yearly graph and it's always plateaued during the times that I'm on like back type hunts, like whether it's, you know, five day white tail rut hunt where I don't have service, like my stress level is just low, but when uh-huh. I come back home, it spikes <laughs> back up. So, so what are you, what are you hunting in Alaska? Uh, I'm going uh, on a uh, sick of blacktail hunt on kodiak oh dude yeah uh, I'm going I fly out August the seventh I get there on the fourth in kodiak and I'm going fishing for a day I got a charter set up to go uh, catch some halibut and some salmon that I'm gonna freeze and fly back with me that's on the sixth and then I fly out on the seventh on a float plane I'm getting dropped in the alpine because the, the reason I'm attracted to that hunt specifically Specifically, is the the black deer live in the alpine in the summer? So they're up in essentially goat country. So I'm gonna get to hunt black-tailed deer. Uh, it's a cheap man's goat hunt, That's all it is. Mm. So I get dropped off on a remote lake up there, and then I can spike camp out of that and hunt blacktails.
0: That's awesome. I've always wanted to do um, a drop caribou hunt, where you know, like you said, plane comes in, drops you off, and boom, they're like, see you in ten days. And I haven't quite been able to talk the wife into that one yet. Uh, And it has nothing to do with the money and everything to do with um, her thinking I'm going to kill myself while I'm out there uh, Uh, accidentally. I
1: did did that hunt in 2020. It's a fun time. Yeah. Did Uh, you have success? Yeah. Yeah. We killed some caribou. Uh, You know, it was, I'm glad I experienced it, but I don't know if I'd go do it again personally. Like it, it just got very monotonous looking at the tundra. Oh um, yeah. I like the mountains and that tundra, man, uh, my buddy killed a cranker bull the first day. And, uh, he was, it was five miles from the camp and we packed it out in one trip and a mature, a mature caribou you know, way bigger. He's not quite as big as an elk. I mean, I would say a mature caribou is about the size of a satellite bull. Okay. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's pretty heavy getting, getting out in one trip, but man, walking across that tundra <laughs> is like, it's like baby heads like uh, like what is it muskeg or whatever yeah. uh and these things will roll on you and they're like you know like tundra grass um like uh, lichen and stuff like that and uh, you know you will go to their area that's like soggy and it's just it's it's a crazy pack out I man it's a lot harder than i thought it was going to be and also you're going to deal with all the mosquitoes yeah um they're a pain man like there's times that you could breathe in and you'd suck mosquitoes up your nose.
0: Oh, my gosh. That sounds miserable.
1: But, but it's fun, man. Uh, you know, I think everybody should do it at least once. If I go back hunt caribou again, I think I'd go do the Hall road hunt personally.
0: Yeah, I have a buddy who went to do the Hall road hunt last year, and uh, he attempted it with a bow and didn't have any luck. He said there were a lot of rifle hunters out there, though, and the rifle hunters were having a lot of success. Lot of yeah, you, well,
1: if you if you do the hall road, you got to be five miles from the road road with a rifle. Yep. Um, but man, when we were, so we went into the North Brooks is where we flew into, and we had to drive up the hall road to get get picked up by the plane. Or and, um, I mean, I saw a lot of caribou off the side of the hall road. I mean, one of them I totally easily could have shot. Like it was kind of a weird deal. He was in the road and was stuck on a bridge, and he ran up the bridge and up this hill. And by the time, he, and there was a ridge coming across the top of that hill. And by the time he got to the top there, his tongue was hanging out. And I told my buddy, I was like, man, I could easily get out, get my bow, and slip around the backside of that ridge and catch him, oh, you yeah. know, sneak up on him because he, he was tired and, uh, too, just a great, you know, ambush point there. But I, I saw multiple shooter bulls from the hall road. I mean, I would, it'd be a lot cheaper to do it that way, too, because I think all in, you know, you're looking at about, you know per person about six seven thousand dollars easy yeah for a flying hunt. yeah
0: yeah they are not uh they are not cheap so uh any uh any big whitetail plans or you say sticking close to home
1: uh yeah man i travel every year i um i'm gonna i'm really close on this deer i've been hunting for a couple years i i got 40 yards of him last year and i found his summer range last year uh in October, where he had been spending his time for the last few years. And I put a lot of time in there uh, this year, scouting. And I already got him back on camera, coming back to the summer range. And I, so I'm, I'm really trying to get on him uh, this year. He's a really, really good deer for here. And I think I got a good chance. One of us is going to mess up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully he messes up and I capitalize, or maybe I get busted in, in the middle of it. I don't know. But uh, so I'm putting a lot of time in on him. And then I'm definitely going to be hunting, uh, West Virginia, probably Virginia. And I may do a Midwest hunt too nice. this year, but for sure, North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia, um, they're kind of the definite, it's already got tags for those so I'm definitely going to do those. Yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Good luck to you this fall. And uh, yeah. man, I, I look forward to seeing what else comes from Timber Ninja in the future. Cool, man. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at howtohuntdeer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me, suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and OnX. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.